Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, or you'd like to make a comment, or you have a show idea for us, please leave us a voice message at 503-770-0263. 503-770-0263. She thought Why? that she, she thought she was having, she thought she had a kidney infection or she, something was going on in her something internal organs turns out they think don't she, tell me wait wait don't tell me was it rickets cancer what are rickets by the way i don't even know what that is i, I don't know i don't know i just wanted to whisper cancer yeah please whisper when you say cancer what 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 actually was the problem with your sister they don't know they did all kinds of tests they couldn't figure it out they basically okay. said mm. let me rephrase what i the question asked you before is it the end is it the beginning of the end? It might be the beginning of the end. <laughs> and I think if you ask my sister, she would tell you the same thing. But she uh, she might have told me that 10 years ago. So, you know, depends uh, on your yeah. definition of beginning, I suppose. Yeah. Anyway, she's here now. Let me, let me say this, and I think it's important that this be said at this particular juncture. This is the first podcast we've done that I'm wearing pants. I just wanted to throw that in. Did you? Did I send you that Venn diagram? Yes, I didn't really understand it, but I appreciate oh, it. Oh, so that basically saying, here, here's a Venn diagram of the times I've been truly happy and the times that I've been wearing pants. There is no overlap. I've only been truly happy. <laughs> I've only been truly happy when I'm not wearing pants. There was no context for it, so I just didn't. I didn't I understand. I, it. You'd explain it to me later. I thought it was extremely funny. Now that you've provided the context for it. Yeah. It is extremely funny. And this is Locks in the Bagel. Okay, let me ask you let me ask you the big question for the week right now. Boom. In what country that you've been in in your life were you ever treated as a dirty Jew? As a dir- <laughs> as a dirty Jew? Yeah, metaphorically. Yeah. Have you ever experienced anti-Semitism in any of your travels when people found out you were Jewish? Well, you know, the closest that I came is when all those guys with guns, I'm not even making this up. <laughs> that sounds like it's going to be made up story. It does. The closest I came was when all those dudes pointed guns at me and started pointing and shouting Israeli spy. And when, when was this? That was when I was in Morocco. Is that where I was? Morocco? No, no, no. You know what? It actually wasn't in Morocco. It was- uh, it was Tunisia. It was it was it was on the sure. at the edge of the Sahara Desert. Mm-hmm. Classic. Yeah, heard yeah. that a million times. Um, you know the the last time and the only time in my entire life I've ever been around guns, more than one gun ever in a group. Israel, Israel was when you and I were in Israel at the border. Do you remember when we went to the border, the Syrian border? And there were all those soldiers, and we sat. We took those pictures on sitting on the jeep wearing I do, shorts. Of course, I remember that. It was the last got, time I wore shorts. You, you, too, you got a you got a big kick out of that. You it, loved at the time, taking pictures with guys with guns. At the time, it seemed very amusing. Yeah. In the ensuing three decades, it seems not amusing at all, <laughs> considering yeah. that America is has a significant gun problem yeah. that kills people regularly. Um, not funny. But as an 18-year-old idiot who didn't know anything about anything, it felt very amusing sitting in that Jeep in Israel. Yeah. Although not as amusing the next day when they said we couldn't go to where we were supposed to go because there had been a terrorist bombing. So amusing is relative, one could argue. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about the the the, the thing like the, that nonsense that people like Marjorie Taylor Greene spew about, you know, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. What if all the, the people with guns are storming the Capitol? Yeah. Well, I mean, what we saw, by the way, we saw this in the Capitol. There was one good guy with a gun. Uh, remember that 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 particular scene where that one 
police officer was trying getting, to hold yeah, a getting, mob back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if he had taken his gun out and started shooting people, he would have been overrun in about a second half and killed. Yeah. Yeah. It's an it's a ridiculous argument, I would argue. Yeah. And America, this gun history we have so has been so bastardized and so manipulated, and so many guns are owned in the I mean, we on the verge of having a a right-wing militia overthrow of our country in many, many states, potentially in multiple states at the same time because of the amount of firepower these militias have. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a thing. Guns. Guns guns do kill people, by the way. Yes, and the people who use them. But they without them, they don't kill people. Right. So, yeah, there's that. Um, so, yeah, I'm at the, I was at the edge of the Sahara Desert, and... Wait, wait, wait. Can I ask you a question about that uh, yeah. before you tell me the story? Yeah, yeah. So that feels like a flat earth statement. Like, can you be at the edge of it? Does it fall off? Or like, does it literally, like, is there a point where the desert turns into grass or turns into a city? It doesn't like, turn into grass, edge? but there's, well, of course. It's an interesting phrase, the edge there's, of the there's desert. A bo- there's a border that where people consider this is where the Sahara Desert starts, just like you, there's a border. Well, I mean, there's a border where the Sahara Desert ends as well. Did you take a picture of it? Just like oceans and other stuff i feel like it's that place in in istanbul where you're standing in asia and europe at the same time i did take a picture of it i wish i could find that picture and then you could post it Mm -hmm. uh, uh, here it was on me on a camel yeah you know you know if you could send me any of those pictures where you you looked like a terrorist and you know from the classic definition from the 1920s movies definition but you you remember your hair and your your beard and that's most of the that's most of the pictures of me from like for like an eight-year period i know but those Um, those particular pictures from that trip at at times you you just look like the the poster child of terrorism yeah it's true well and i think that's why i was stopped so often when i was traveling through europe I was stopped mm-hmm. regularly, at least three times in France, by the way. And what about when you showed your American Shocking. passport? Did- Shock, shockeroo. What about you showed your American passport? Did people say, oh, he's an American, he's not a terrorist? Oh, yeah, that always made things better when people found out I was American. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that made things better. <laughs> that feels like sarcasm. Yeah, that was. Uh, so there's this thing. It's one of the few truly touristy things I did when I was traveling but I didn't know how else to go to the Sahara desert. Cause I, I mm-hmm. thought, I thought like a backpack and just doing it by myself was a bad idea. <laughs> That's the definition of an obituary. Yeah. So there's, there was this like an outpost where you go and you can rent, you can pay to take a camel ride and they walk you on a camel into the Sahara desert. <laughs> and uh, incredibly uncomfortable riding a camel, by the way. And it- yeah, but th- I don't know whose genius idea this was. This little tourist spot with the camels, they set up right outside a military base. So like if you're facing it on the left, camels. On the right, guns. Who's military? The Tunisian. Oh, I didn't know if it was a foreign yeah. base. Yeah, yeah, no. And I was wearing a white t-shirt that said BCI on it, which stood for Brandeis Camp Institute. And the I was dotted with a little Jewish star. And I didn't mm-hmm. remember it. I, it was just a, just a t-shirt that I happened to have on that day. And I'm going there and suddenly some dude, some soldier with a gun starts pointing, you're shaking your head. So either I can't believe that this happened or that either means I can't believe this happened or I completely believe this happened to you. Which did that mean? Which is your head shaking? Um, it was actually option three. It was, are you a fucking idiot? Why, <laughs> how can you not look at your clothing before you go into a volatile situation? You understand I had like two t-shirts and one pair of pants for a year. I just put on what I had. I just, I wasn't thinking. 
I did. First of all, I didn't know that, there yes. was. I didn't know there was a military base there. I just went wait, to wait, go wait. to the camel place. Wait, you, you don't have to say anything else after you say I wasn't thinking. That's enough. That sums it up. Go on. So, so I go to the the the. No, I wasn't. Didn't th- think there was going to be a military base. There. No, no, no. Let me let me just re- restate my point. You, really, after you say I wasn't thinking, just yeah. go on. Okay. Oh, and let me also say, like, I had great <laughs> relationship with in Tunisia. They're the, one of the sure. nicest people I've ever met. Incredibly kind and hospitable. I had lots of conversations with Tunisians. I never hid that I was Jewish, and we talked a lot about. Uh, Abraham and Sarah, and how Abraham and Sarah were the mother and father of Arabs and Jews, mm-hmm. multiple religions. Yep, and um, and they made it really clear, like we don't like the Israeli government, but I don't, we don't have a problem with the fact that you're Jewish. And it was really easy, and I had a wonderful time in Tunisia. Anyway, so I go there, and some dude, some soldier, starts pointing at me and yelling, and he lifts his gun up, and as soon as he does that, <laughs> like five other guys with guns start running towards me with their guns. Yeah, and I'm like. You know, and then he starts pointing, and I see that he's pointing, and I and I can hear. I don't know if he's saying juif or he's saying something, but I see, and I'm like, "Fellas, all right, everybody, take it easy, take it easy." Do you really think that if I were an Israeli spy, I'd be walking in here with a T-shirt with a Jewish star on it? You're telling me that in that moment you were this calm with guns pointed at you. I'm I'm a pretty calm dude. As an eighteen-year-old or a twenty-three or however old you were, I was pretty calm. I, I was pretty calm. I was just staying calm. Thankfully, their superior supervisor or whatever comes over to me and he starts. I don't know what you call it. They're what would chatting. You call it? No, no. What do you call the guy who's who's in charge? Their their yeah. com- commanding officer, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm basically relying on like Hogan's heroes for my jargon. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what, you know? Excellent. Comes over and we're talking, and I think like we're talking in French because it's you know the mm-hmm. only language we could both understand. And I'm trying to explain, like, dude, I'm an American. Why would I come in here wearing this shirt if I were an Israeli spy? Why would I do that? And eventually, he told the guys, like, put down your guns. This, you guys have lost your minds. And they said, like, go ahead, get on your camel. So it was fine. Thankfully, this dude was level-headed. That's a that's a beautiful story that, that could have ended very tragically. Could have ended so badly for me. I could be doing this podcast from a jail cell in Tunisia right now. Yeah, I kind of feel like you'd been shot rather than put in prison, but you would you would have been a distant memory at this point in all of our minds. It would make the podcast pretty interesting, though. Yeah, except there wouldn't be it wouldn't <laughs> be a podcast because you wouldn't be here. If you had been killed at that particular point, my life had would have gone in a completely different direction. I would have joined the, the priesthood as I had intended to do before you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that why, was have my. You, why have you? So you've never experienced uh, anti-Semitism anywhere traveling? Yeah, you, I didn't. I didn't say that. Although I don't really. Th- think that I have. Um, I, I, you know, also when I was younger and travel, oh, I traveled eight years ago. I, I you guys had hair. very light hair. I was going to say I had blonde hair and blue eyes and, and people thought of me as more Aryan than Jewish just by look. But uh, no, I don't really think that, I mean, I haven't been to the exotic places you've been. I've mostly Western European travel. So I haven't really been, although not that there's not anti-Semitism in Western Europe, obviously there's lots of it, but I haven't really, um, not that I'm aware of, you know, like when you tell people, I remember being in, when I lived in Italy, 
in my 20s. I do remember being in a, we'll call it a cafe. It wasn't exactly, but we'll call it that for the purposes of conversation. Shorthand. I do remember having a conversation with a couple. And at one point they asked me and it came up that I was Jewish. And I do have a vague memory of some sort of shunning behavior. But that's not, you know, anti-Semitism. I was never threatened. I was never in danger. I was just perhaps slightly shunned, which is a very mild form of... There's a slight shunning? Yeah, yes, there is definitely a slight shunning. <laughs> it's, it's the, it's the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? For slight, for a little, for a little bit of something. It was like a, like a schnipsel of shunning. It was a smidgen, a bissel? It was a bissel of shunning? Schnipsel was the word I think uh-huh. I found. Okay. I think that's a word you used for the first time when I was in my 20s, and that's where I remember that word I from. I did. I made it up, but that, that yeah, was the word I used for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. It stays with me. Yeah. Like like gout. But anyway, what's gout? It's another one of those like old world rickets, gout. I don't know what any of those things I are. People, I just have I them in my brain. Get, I think people still get gout. I don't know if anybody gets rickets. But what is gout? The gout, as we used to say as kids. What is it? Uh, it's some Something that you get, it ends up in your extremities, like your feet at some... Okay, now, now you're just speculating in a way that's not helpful. Let me I, ask you this question, because it just mm-hmm. popped into my head. Yeah. Do you remember, when you were a kid, wherever you lived in Westwood, or when you were in the hills after that, did, did the ice cream truck come to your neighborhood? Did you have an ice cream truck? Do you remember going out to the ice cream truck when you heard that heard mm-hmm. that jingle? Yeah, I do. Do you, do you remember what, the, what your go-to item was at the ice cream truck as a child? Um, yeah, I liked uh, big sticks. Uh-huh. So did my ex-wife. That scares me a little bit. But go on. Uh, I like big sticks and I like drumsticks. Uh, you know, anything, any of the sticks. Sticks, any of the yeah, sticks? Any of the sticks. Do you remember the chocolate? You? I was just saying before you interrupted me. Do you remember the chocolate eclair bar? No. That was a on a stick. It looked like a popsicle, except it was ice cream with covering of chocolate. It was called a chocolate eclair bar. It didn't taste anything like a chocolate eclair, by the way, but it, it had like a, I don't even know how to describe it, the textural chocolate pieces, probably made in the laboratory somewhere, but uh, it was very tasty. But I, I did also like a drumstick. Um, I wasn't huge. I didn't eat a lot of ice cream as a child. So I, if thing, if chocolate or sauces covered the ice cream, which was, you know, my, uh, what's the, what's the French? I, I don't know any French, but there's a French phrase. What What is raison do you know the phrase I'm going with? Raison tro- uh-huh. Raison like d'etre? Raison d'etre? Yeah. Well, what does that mean? That means like my thing, right? Means, yeah. Your reason for being. Yeah. It's sort like of the, you reason, can use the, reason, the reason for doing it. Right. So that was sort of that for me. The uh, Anything covered in, you know this, anything covered in sauces or chocolates or dipping. I was a big fan of, I'm a huge fan of sauces. I could have easily been a French citizen. <laughs> except, except you remember there was there was also um, do you remember I've mentioned him before. Do you remember Charlie Fleischer, the comedian? You probably don't know him that well. He no, was very no. funny I, when I was a kid and used to hang out at the Improv in seventh grade, the, the comedy club in Hollywood. Um, just that phrase alone should be should be social service inducing. Yeah. But anyway, when I used to hang out at the Improv when I was twelve, Charlie Fleischer once did a bit, and it just again, it's it's, it's funny the things that stay with you, right? At, decades later he said he got up on stage and he did this bit and he said i went to france the other day and it's like they had a different word for everything yeah, <laughs> I, just I, remember that. That. <laughs> I just still to this day for some reason just made me laugh oh charlie fleischer i wonder if he's dead bob newhart definitely dead right what is bob newhart dead no did he die he must be dead he's got to be dead he's like 180 years old come on 
Christopher uh, Plummer died. He did, but I would be that would be I would remember, I think, if Bob Are you Newhart telling me Bob Newhart is still alive? He can't be I, alive. I think so. He was very influential to me. I know. Uh, uh, his comedy was very influential to me um when his I was albums. in high school. Yeah. Hmm? He's a very dry and amusing man. If he's still alive, as we've established recently on the podcast, Billy Crystal is dead. Sadly, um, no, 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 no. Wait, no, he's still alive. I'm sorry, I got that confused. It was either dead or alive. I had a fifty-fifty shot. He did have fifty-fifty shot. He's so alive. He's, well, so alive is a relative term. He's not like Tom Hanks alive. But he, he is might someone be, who should not be dying his hair. He might be Buddy Hackett alive. Buddy Hackett probably dead. No. An old comedian. Anyway, Buddy Hackett, who I shouldn't? Think, I think Buddy Hackett just died. Well, I, I think I saw his house actually up for sale. Yeah, I saw <laughs> his house up for sale too. I think because it's he's dead. It's probably a good reason to sell your house because not much use for it once you're in a you know, however you die, however yeah, you're dead, right? However you live as a dead person. Yeah, yeah. Billy Crystal. Last time I saw him, his hair was like jet black, and I it was like it just shouldn't be. <laughs> okay um so let me ask you this question so today we ostensibly are talking about travel and culture and the people you meet along the way yeah. so you've traveled much more extensively than i have I, i've traveled a little bit um, more than most americans because most americans don't travel at all sadly the culture and the money issues involved in our culture but as opposed to getting into those deeper more meaningful issues let's keep it light you're just um, well, you're describing travel outside the country or are you describing yes. even travel within the country well, I was in that comment, obviously descri uh, describing travel outside the country. But I have traveled a lot within the country. Not it's not to as many, not to the. There are a couple of places still I would like to go that I've never been that I almost went to. You know what the the okay here. This is a question for both of us. What is the one place in America that you haven't been that you'd like to see? And let me go first since I brought it up. Um, and it's uh, New Orleans or New Orleans, depending mm -hmm. on where you're from. Uh, and my ex girlfriend. Oh God, this is maybe like 15 years ago. We had, no, no. When was Katrina? When did Katrina happen? Was that 2004? I don't know. Let's say it was 2000, somewhere in the two, two, 2000s. Okay. And we we actually had were planning a trip to New Orleans, this cute little hotel that had really fucking amazing bathtubs. It's a little little boutique, small hotel, but it had these great like Italian kind of bathtubs. And uh, and then Katrina happened, and and uh, didn't get to go there. I mean, obviously not a great loss for me relative to the horrific losses of Katrina. But but in terms of travel, that's the one place I wanted to see in America that I've never been. I still would like to see it. What what about you? If there were, that's a good one. New, New Orleans would be great. Good. I, I I've never been, and I would like to go. You know, I, there there are a lot of national parks that I would like to go to. If I wait, could just wait, 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 wait. Before you say that, I just want to tell you one quick New Orleans anecdote. You know, there's a story that Nicolas Cage had his both his testicles tattooed in New Orleans. So I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they say. I thought you'd want to know that. I didn't want to know that. <laughs> No, you can't. You can't. You can't ever get that out of your head now. Yeah, of course he would get his balls tattooed. <laughs> <sighs> Some people say that's true. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you. You were about to say national parks. If I could put all the national parks into my answer, like that's that's what I would want to do. Although you know, I've never been to Mississippi, and I I've kind of really wanted to go because I think it would be. What uh, particular part of any particular city in Mississippi that you, uh, why Mississippi? My understanding from people that I've spoken to who have been down there is that it's, it's really sort of like a time warp and be a lot of things have not changed much 
in a lot of parts of Mississippi. Yeah. Um, it could be very negative. You know, yeah, it, it could be, you know, but I, I to experience something that um, is a part of America that I, I've never seen a part, uh, uh, you know, uh-huh. in, in, in all ways. So, yeah, I, I feel a little bit uh, about that way about Memphis. Mm. I've heard some, some fun things about Memphis as a town. Mm-hmm. And also, there's history. I mean, the, hist- the historical aspect of the South interests me. The the other traditions of the South don't interest me. You remember that 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 I've been to the South twice. I was there for the Democratic Convention in 1998. I was working there. It was really fun. Although right. you talked really- your way into all kinds of shit that you should never have been able to get into. <laughs> that was that was really fun. But that but that was I was working the whole time I was there. And then the other time is when I went to visit you in North Carolina at the oh, at the that's to right. see your play Fort Bragg. When you were in what what was that play you were in? Brighton yeah, Beach? No, Biloxi Blues. Yeah. Biloxi Fort, Blues. Fort Bragg, yeah. On a military base, an equity theater. You as an actor went there and you did how many shows when you were there? A couple weeks? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. A couple weeks, at least two two or three weeks of shows. Maybe so three, this three, is, three weeks, yeah. This is interesting. I had this idea that we would talk about people we've met, interesting people that have impacted us or maybe that showed us some kindness or something on the load. But here, let me tell you this story. I can't remember if I've told this story before out loud. Um, and there's going to be some, I can't, I'm not going to use the N word, obviously, but the N word, I'll just say N word to describe the N word. Okay. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm bearing, the, I'm coming with the lead here. So I'm a little bit, but anyway, so I'm, so I sit down opening, I, I don't know if it was opening night that I came to see the show, but it might've been, I can't remember. So anyway, I'm, I'm there, I'm dressed pretty nicely. I'm wearing a coat. I was wearing a lot of Armani in those days. I had a lot of more money in those days, but anyway, I was wearing Armani. I was wearing a coat and I sat down like third row center and this very classic looking Southern gentleman, gray hair, and just kind of like what you think of when you think of the South, like a beautiful man in a Tennessee Williams play, right? Just like a, a 60, 70 year old man, just Southern genteel, said hello to me. We struck up a, con- it was about five minutes before the curtain. We struck up a little conversation. And I don't know how, but the conversation, then he says this to me. We're talking, we might have been talking about the government. Something might have been happening. I don't remember what year this was. We might have been talking about something. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, he he says to me in this very gentle, sweet, kind of very Southern gentlemanly conversation, he turns to me and said, well, you know what the problem with the post office is? And I, I literally like, you know, just casually like, uh, I don't know. What, what, what do you think? He says, it's the N word, plural. Right. That's what he says to me. Out of the blue. And I rem- like this I remember you telling me that story, yeah. This is the thing I've heard about the South in other places. Like I have, I've only been there in limited times, as I mentioned. But I've heard like if you look the right way, people will say things to you in the South, things like that. Use language that you know, we were two kids from LA, right? We grew up in a, you know, a privileged environment, but fairly diverse city. There were lots of different kinds of people in the city and we were around different kinds of people when we were out in the world. I'd never heard anybody actually say that, you know, in the kind of way that this guy said it. I I didn't, this was before rap music, by the way. So like, you didn't hear this on the radio much either. Mm -hmm. And I'd never heard a human being say that so casually, like he, like he was saying, you know, it's sunny out today. Literally, mm-hmm. that's what it felt like. And he and and he just looked at me with n- no surprise, no shock, or no embarrassment, or mm-hmm. he was literally like talking about the weather. And and I remember I had a, I also had a comeback in the moment. I was pretty quick in those days too, and uh, in the moment. And I said, well, you know, I think that the head of the post office is a white guy. And then literally the, <laughs> the light went down. That's that's great. I thought that was a pretty good comeback that in the moment. That is a good and, comeback. 
And then the lights went down and the show went on and then I never saw that guy again. But like that was my my was my my personal experience in the South with connecting with a, a person from the South. And this was what, 19 what year would that have been? 1991, 90 somewhere on there. Yeah, 90. It was it was jarring to me. Like I was like 89 wow. or 90, yeah. And it fed into the childhood education I'd gotten about fearing the South as a Jewish kid, right? Like we're raised to fear, and you know, as a black person, obviously there are other issues, significant issues, but as a Jewish kid growing up in the West, I was always taught to fear the South. It was never a place that held a lot of interest for me until I met Lisa Koff when she, in high school, this girl named Lisa Koff, whose mother was from, no, I'm going to get this wrong. I think she was from Mississippi, by the way, I think. I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure she was from Mississippi, and she had that amazing Southern accent, which is a lovely accent, by the way, just from an accent sounding thing. Yeah, she was anyway. She, she was a Southern Jew. Yes, and a teacher taught mm-hmm. for decades. Great teacher, by all accounts, brilliant teacher, and just a really wonderful person. She was like the sweetest mom. And, you know, when I was a kid, I was really into hanging out with other kids' moms, obviously your mom, because I didn't really have a mom at home. And so that always was really meaningful to me. Yeah. But anyway, let's go back to travel. Lisa so tell me about- Very sweet person. Very sweet. One of the sweetest people I've known in my life. Met her in high school and followed her home on a bus, like with her, not stalking her oh, kind yeah. of thing, but like followed her home, like, hey, I'm hang out with you. We live not too far away from her. She was taking tennis lessons at La Cienega Park, which is two blocks from where you, or a block from where you live right now. That's right. Anyway, lovely girl. <clears throat> but I digress. Tell me about an experience you had somewhere in the world that comes to mind where you met somebody who just had some kind of impact for you, I just either in the moment or long term or just some kind of interaction that was like, wow, wow that's nice. I have so many people who fall into that yeah, category. Start with one. Just pick one. Abdurrahman. I'm sorry? Abdurrahman. That's the person's name? Yeah. What country yeah. was that in? Was that, that also Tunisia? That was in Tunisia. You have a lot uh, of Tunisia happening. I, they were so kind down there. Um, I went down. I, I so I, I made a habit. I tried to get as far away from I don't know, sort of touristy places as I could. So I went as really far south. I wanted to see a bona fide oasis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so, awesome. And I went down. I can't remember the name of the town. And I uh, got dropped off by the bus, and I just walked up to a. I just, I guess, just a shop. And I, I so and I <laughs> just speaking French. Because it was, and I don't didn't speak French well, but I spoke it well enough. Mm-hmm. Nice, to be able to communicate. Good for you. And I just said, uh, "I want to see the oasis. Do you know of anybody around here who could take me into the oasis?" <laughs> that was it. It's not like there wasn't a tour or anything like that. I mm-hmm. that's what I had to do. I just went down and just said, "Anybody around here, you know, want to take me into right. the oasis?" Local, looking for a local experience. Somebody who's from the neighborhood. Guy said, uh, "Wait here." Watch my <laughs> shop. <laughs> he just left. This all sounds like the beginning of a movie that goes very dark. Yeah, but it no, didn't. he just said, watch my shop. I'm like, okay. Yeah, I love that. And so I, I stood there and he came back with a guy, very, very tawny, tawny skin guy, very wrinkled. He was uh, very leathery skin. And I think he was only like 30. Mm. Um, very sunny there, right? Oh, yeah. A lot of sun. A lot of sun. And... He introduced himself and he said, come with me. I said, okay. He took me to his house. He said, you can leave your bags here. And he told me his wife was in, and we're just speaking French. He spoke no English. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
And he, he, you know, which was good because he, his French and my French were more or less on par. <laughs> That's funny. And we did a lot of pointing at things. And mm-hmm. um, he said his wife good. was in um, Algeria visiting family. So she was gone. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, <laughs> no, it didn't end like that. What happens in Tangiers no. stays in Tangiers. <laughs> didn't that didn't end like that so he and i start walking through he said you know follow me and we just start walking out of town and as we walk out of town we just kind of things just kind of start to get lush and we're lots of foliage and i pretty soon we can hear this donkey brain i hear the sound of this donkey brain <laughs> in the distance and he said that's that's tom pet which tom pet in in french means tempest he said that's tom pet it's my donkey and sure enough, and, and the donkey could tell that it was Abdurrahman heading towards him. He couldn't see, no wow. couldn't see him yet. So he, could, so he could tell, and he started braying with, with joy, and we, we, we found Tom Pet. And basically, we got on Tom Pet, incredibly uncomfortable riding a donkey. And uh, we just started riding into the oasis and talking, and he's showing me flowers and describing shit to me and... And it's a and we we get to a waterfall in the middle of the desert. A bona fide. I'm telling you, it was a bona fide, full on oasis. Did you feel at any point like you were losing touch with reality in a good way? Like, did this feel surreal? Did this feel like an otherworldly experience, or was it just very much like a human experience? No, it was very much a human experience, and and got even more human. And um, we stopped, oh. and 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 he bathed Tom Pet in this stream, um, and then we. We stripped down and got under the waterfall and cooled off. And then we sat in like a palm tree for a while and talked. And then he said, come on, let's go. Let's go. And we went to the border of Algeria. And then we started heading back. And I started to feel not very well. And I didn't know it, but I was getting really, really sick. Um, so he didn't drug you. It wasn't no, no, going no, that no. direction. No, no, no. So we got back to his house and I really didn't feel well. I could tell I had a oh, fever. Yeah. I felt terrible. Anyway, so he said, come on, let's go before the sun goes down. And he takes me to this river um, and we strip off our clothes and we go into the river together. And he has this little tin cup and a bar of soap. And where he hands me the bin, I'm sort of scrubbing and off. And the river was so cool; it felt it was amazing. It felt um, just like a like a balm. I mean, it was just incredible. Mm-hmm. It felt so good to me because I felt so hot and feverish. We got in, and then um, he says he asks me for the soap and the the cup, and he tells me to turn around. And so I do, and I, I know this sounds like a setup for something sort of awful but it's it's not and then he just starts scrubbing my back he just starts scrubbing my back i mean i i mean we're just two human beings standing in a river bathing and we had just met each other that day and he starts scrubbing my back he scrubs my back scrubs my butt scrubs the back of my legs and then he takes the cup with water and he just rinses me off and rinses me off and it's just it's so it's so quotidian it's so just every day it's just such an ordinary thing there Right there's nothing extraordinary about this, and yet it was, for me, completely extraordinary, and and was just so human. And then he says, "Okay," and then he hands me the soap, and he turns around, and again, just like, "Okay, mm. bathe me." Just now. So you this is this is a different this is a different cultural experience, a cultural norm, totally. And so I bathed him, and it was so just profoundly human. There was it was just profoundly human. 
And then we walked back to his place and he made dinner and he there was put a mattress in the courtyard and we got on the mattress together and stared up at the stars and we talked. And then he said, good night. And I thought he was going to get up and go into the house, but he didn't. He just stayed there on the mattress outside with me and we just went to sleep together. And it was just the most extraordinary, I don't know, life-affirming, uh, human-affirming experience for me. Mm. Just incredible. And then and then he put me on, he just stuck me in a car the next morning, made some tea for me, and put me in a car and sent me on my way. That was it. I gave him my, I had a Playboy Jazz Festival t-shirt that I gave him to say thank you. So that's a, that's a very un-American experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. There's so much in that story to, uh, we can unpack, but let's just take it on face value and just say it's a very human experience uh, and very un-American. I mean, that's not, that's not something I think most Americans would be comfortable with. No, right? no it would attach not. different meaning to that experience than yeah. just two human beings being together. Yeah. Right. Right. That's fascinating. It's just the act of bathing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole other thing that, especially in terms of like masculinity and, and men and the way we're taught to be men in this country in particular. Mm-hmm. I, gotta, I, th- I can't even think of five people I know that would probably be comfortable with that experience. Yeah. It was remarkable. I think it's worth saying, speaking about masculinity, that in Morocco and, and, and I think Tunisia also, mm-hmm. North Africa, a lot of men just walk around yes. who are friends, just walk around holding hands. Right. I was going to actually bring that up because I've, re- I've read about that pretty extensively when I was doing my thesis on masculinity. And uh-huh. what, I, what I found so interesting about that is, again, it's all context, right? In America, we, we sexualize all affection. Mm-hmm. Touch is sexualized, right? Right. It, it's always considered there's always some sexual sexuality to touch. But men in, in the countries you're describing, there's nothing sexual about that interaction, right? There was nothing sexual about it. No, no, it was it was just a, it was literally affection. It was a human affection, right? And it's just so different than what we're human, taught. Human affection. Well, holding hands is human affection. You know, bathing. I think you could argue. I mean, may, there may have been affection in his heart, but there may not have been. It may just have been kindness. Just like I'm just, we're just bathing. It's been a long, hot, hot day, and I'm. This is just how we get clean, right? I'm wrapping affection in in the notion of sort of human kindness. Just mm-hmm. to, again, the absence of sexuality. There's right. no way you could tell that story in America with two men who didn't know each other in a stream using soap that somebody doesn't assume some kind of sexual component to. Yep. I just think that would be impossible. Probably. tell that story in that way probably um and have people believe it or be interested in it or be curious about it but it's it's fascinating to me yeah what yeah, t- i don't, I don't. T- tell me a story about someone that you met in your travels yeah i don't i don't have any i don't have any stories that good about bathing in a stream with a strange tunisian man i mean that's at the, that's in the hierarchy of stories <laughs> travel stories that's very high <laughs> that's very high i don't uh, i feel like like I'm like I feel like I'm following President Obama now. At the <laughs> like what does one say after that story? I feel like we should just drop the mic and say good night. Thank you for coming. Tip the waiters on the way. <laughs> Try the veal. It's fantastic here. Um, yeah, like I don't even know what to say. I mean, you know, the it's not similar or related, but but when I was living in Parma. I went one day, I went to, uh, to this English school 
can't remember why, maybe to find a teacher. I was in a program at this university in Parma, but I think they sent me to this, this English-based, English-language-based school to meet people. There's some reason, I don't remember the reason I went there. And I walked in, it was this very small, it looked like, you know, if it hadn't been decades later, like a little office in Casablanca, but but it was Italy, it was Parma. And I walked in and, and the first person that I noticed, the only person in the room was the secretary or administrative assistant, I can't remember what they called her at the time, this 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 vision of a woman with long flowing red hair, like incredible red hair and white, like milky white skin. And I was 20, how old was I? 27. I was separated from my wife at the time on a program in Italy living, trying to figure out a lot of things. And and this woman just hit me like that scene in, in Godfather 2 when Michael sees Apollonia in the, in the countryside and just hit by the thunderbolt, as they called it. I just was struck by her and I just sat down and started flirting with her and talking with her. Uh, and she had, she had decent English. It was, it had a great like Italian accent. It was funny in a certain way, but it was also playful. And we just ended up chatting for a while. And I asked her to meet me for a drink in the, this great square in Parma, like a couple of days later. And, uh, and we, and she met me. It was a classic Italian story too. Because, uh, you know, like I said, one o'clock and she said, sure. And when you say one o'clock to an Italian and I wasn't prepared <laughs> yeah. for this because I hadn't experienced this yet. But when you say wh- where I come from, when you say one o'clock, you say one o'clock. And if you're going to be late, you call though there were no texting in those days. But but in any case, um, I was there at one. I was there. You know me. I was there at 1240, uh, 1230, probably sitting outside. I was having a glass of wine. I was relaxing. It was pleasant. Um, but when you say one o'clock to an Italian, that means literally to them between one and three. And there's no uncomfortableness with that. That's what it means. It means between one and three. Mm-hmm. And there's no recrimination. There's no expectation yeah. that you're going to be there anywhere not between one and three. So I, I, I'm thinking she showed up about 145, which, you know, and I'm, if I were, if I had met a woman in Los Angeles or San Francisco sure. or Providence yeah. or any place I'd lived and I said, meet me at one and she showed up at 145, I wouldn't be there by that point. Right. I would have called her and if yeah. she had an answer, I would have gone because yeah. I would have thought she was calling me off. Yeah. She'd be off the show. Yeah, exactly. But in Italy, this was normal. So she comes and, and so this was, there were so many things I had to experience in Italy that were, allowed me to see the world differently or take a breath mm-hmm. and, to, and to understand, this is what I think the value of travel is for Americans in particular, mm-hmm. but like there are other ways of being in mm-hmm. the world, being mm-hmm. human, being mm-hmm. compassionate, being in relationship that are outside of what we're taught is the only and best way here. And so in America, my action, I would have gotten annoyed and frustrated and, and then disappointed. And I, I really, in Italy, I learned to sort of take a breath and just sort of enjoy where I was and just wait without, without that anxiety, frustration, without any kind of negative emotion overwhelming me, mm-hmm. uh, which is a really nice thing to learn, by the way. It's a really good lesson, one could argue. But so she showed up and we just ended up having like a three-hour conversation. It was, you know, it was amazing. And she was just this, just funny and sweet and funny and smart. And we just had this great, I was just like the, it was the first person I really connected to in that six months I was in Italy. Uh, Cause I was living with his family and the family was not particularly engaging with me. Cause they kind of thought, Oh, he doesn't speak Italian. Well, let's just leave him alone, which was the wrong <laughs> perspective for a student coming to Italy. Wasn't his son's uh, name Luca? Yeah. Luca, who was like six, two, he was 12 and his mother still cut his meat. <laughs> remember that story well listen that's just such a funny expression his mother cut, still cut his meat that, that, yeah. that, it is a funny expression that's a literal expression 
Uh, his mother cut his meat, and it and that was one of those kind of cultural differences that I still couldn't take. Like, I because I talked to her a little bit about why I, you know, why she did that, and maybe maybe that wasn't so helpful for him. I mean, the Italian culture that we lived in, the family lived in a three story apartment building. The the son Alberto was the dad of the family I lived with, with in my apartment, and then the above us was the brother, his brother, and then above them were their parents. And their mother still did their laundry. He was like forty, so their mother still did their laundry. So there's you know a lot of stuff that goes on in that culture in that way. But this just felt. I mean, this Luca was twelve. He was taller than I was, and he could he had the facility to cut his own meat, and it felt it it just felt uncomfortable in lots of ways. Anyway, uh, but that was a different that was a different story. So this woman Eleonora. Beautiful name, beautiful woman, so much energy, so much life. This woman had so much life, you know. This is what I loved about, I mean, it's not that people in America don't have a full of life. There are lots of people in America full of life. But this was the first person I had met anywhere outside of America that had this quality, this kind of energy, and dy- she was dynamic. And Sounds like you fell in love with her that day. I kind of did. I kind of, we kind of had a little bit of a thing for a few months while I was in Italy. Um, and then that was it. I never saw her again, although I looked her up recently, by the way, like a couple months ago, mm-hmm. found her. She was a photographer. She's married. She has kids. She lives somewhere in Italy. She fo- she photographed like rock concerts all over the world mm. over the last 20 years here. So anyway, she seems to have had a lovely life. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was just, I still smile. It's like, again, three decades ago and it's still like, just thinking about it makes me smile and, and fills me full of joy. Mm. That was a kind of a lovely story for me. Yeah. I, it was very easy for me to imagine the two of you sitting there talking and that I was, oh, ima- and then, I was imagining you in a, in some kind of piazza as you were doing it. That's what it was. It was a piazza. It was the square in, in Parma, which is a beautiful giant square. It's a stunning, Parma is a stunning city. And then one other time we were walking, she, she's, she was from a town about 50 or 60 miles away. I can't remember the name of the town, but she was from a different town and she was in Parma living in this like small studio walk up, like four stories up. Uh, it, was, it was so funny. It was like a New York apartment in some ways. It was tiny and it was one room, and, but it was like a four-story walk-up. But she wasn't in her town, but she, it was her town, her adopted town. And I think she had family, and she might have even had been engaged at some point. I'm not sure. I'm making, I'm making that up, or I'm misremembering that, or she was betrothed, perhaps to some. I have some memory of a man in the army. Anyway, I don't know the whole story, but I do remember that we were walking one night through these these colonnades in Parma, these outside, these beautiful architectural architectural um, elements. And I remember taking her hand and she just kind of slapped my hand away and she said to me with the greatest accent, she said, Don't don't touch my hand in my city. <laughs> just, <laughs> just thought like and I, to this day, like I still every time I think of that phrase, it just makes me smile and, and such a beautiful memory. But uh, yeah, she was because, what what do you think she meant by that? Because she could be seen by people that she knows or what? what yeah, it, it, it could have been that or it could have been just some sense of propriety. I don't know. I'm not really sure. I mean, we we ended up having a very intimate relationship, so it wasn't that we weren't intimate. Uh, it was just interesting that particular thing. Maybe it was too public, or I don't know. I didn't. I didn't. I just kind of took it at face value and didn't mm, do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just remember the line and the way she said it. Everything she said was attractive. It was sexy mm-hmm. and attractive. Mm-hmm. Everything. Um, and that red hair. Oh, it's just stunning. Anyway, do you know what is cool? Is the space shuttle. Do you know how big that thing is? That's yeah, space shuttle. That's cool. housed here. You know, at the at the space museum. It's it's huge. It's so much bigger than you think it's going to be. Yeah. Do you know how many times I took your daughter when she was two and three years old to see the space shuttle? Uh, many, many, many times. Many times. Yeah. She probably didn't appreciate it. But she didn't. Uh, 
uh, wizard. It looks so tiny when you're looking at it in the sky on the news. I know. And then you get there and it's huge. That, that shit is crazy big. It's crazy big. Yeah. Crazy big. Well, I know we've only scratched the surface of traveling culture, but I, I think we've, we've illuminated some very important values around the idea of seeing other cultures and seeing other ways of being and, see, and experiencing other kinds of people. Uh, I just think it's fascinating and it's exciting, right? Yeah. What What do we learn? What do we learn, Kenny? What did What did you What did you learn? Don't stand outside a military base in <laughs> a Muslim country wearing a Jewish star, and and let let strange men rub your back with soap <laughs> in a river. Well, I will say this. You know, I'm now. Of course, I was. I was a man. Young. I was young. Well, I was young. I would. I mean, were I to travel today, I'm sure I would have similar experiences, some similar experiences. But I was a man, so I had less to fear. True. But I, 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 I really was open minded when I traveled, and I, and I was, yeah. I was willing to take risks, um, which led to a lot of learning. And I think yeah, and a lot of really cool experiences. Lo- yes, a lot of cool experiences. And I, 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 I think argue that I learned more travel in one year of traveling than I did in mm-hmm. four years of college about just things that about things that matter is what I is what I mean. Yeah, I mean I've always thought. I mean you had you had opportunity you had you had financial opportunity to do that. Most people don't. But I always thought, wouldn't it be a great thing if 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 our cover of our government if our country as part of sort of being an American, sent every high school graduate abroad to some kind of work program or study program or cultural program for a year. That was part of sort of the rite of passage as an American and something that gets funded so yeah. it, so there's no inequity around it, right? So every kid, no matter where they're from, who's never ha- who may never have the opportunity to travel before and may never after, but at least gets to spend a year in a different culture experiencing the world in a way. I think I think it would enrich our society in a way that would be totally worth the cost. What a great uh, program. I always thought that would be a good oh idea. Oh, my God. It'd be so amazing. So amazing. I, I don't know if they could do it for a year, but, I mean, even if they could, even if they could fund every graduating high school student. Yeah, for the summer, at the worst. Right, right. You know, you know, on so many levels, like on so many inequality levels, uh, equity levels in our country. You know, when I when I used to work with kids who uh, from first generation Mexican families, a lot of those kids in East LA. When I did the doing therapy in those schools for a couple of years, you know, the one thing that always struck me, um, and this is true of of any community that is, is impoverished and struggles to to survive, but. But I mean, this is just the community I worked in. It's like those kids never got out of like a two mile radius. Like they didn't get to see that there were other experiences in the world. And and that was and and for them, I mean, they had a lot of they had a lot of obstacles, obviously, that simply going abroad wouldn't have necessarily changed. Mm-hmm. But just the opportunity to be taken out of your your regular experience and seeing something else, I think is beneficial to any group to at any level to just experience something different and to feel feel different about yourself in a different environment because in other environments have the ability to do that, to give us a different sense of our identity in a way that can be very helpful, can be, can be illuminating. Um, and I think that would be such a gift as Americans to give every American child. If it, we valued it, it could be, we could do it. So it'd be such a great gift. I, anyway, 
You you should you should that if for no other reason like you should just you could become a politician and just run on that. That would be my platform. Yeah, that would be so great. And they would uncover all those dark, dark and ugly secrets from my past, and then I'd be a, a shameful, horrific. You actually statistic. don't. You actually don't have a lot of dark secrets, do you? I have more than you know. I have more than anybody knows because even even to this day, I've still kept certain things to myself. Could you? Is there any anything in your past that could be uncovered that might prevent you from a successful run for office? Well, it's very hard to answer that question with no. I mean, like I mentioned today, like my father went to prison for a year. That could be disqualifying to some people. Mm. You know, I mean, there are lots of th- the world we live in today. It's hard to know what would be acceptable and what's not, and what could be you know brought up. I wouldn't want to subject myself to the public or my daughter, for that matter, to the public scrutiny of all that. I just think it's unconscionable. So, yeah. Anyway, say good night, Gracie. Good night, Gracie. <laughs> oh, this. It was Locks in the Bagel. Locks in the Bagel is a production of Kenjamin Media. If you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, or you'd like to make a comment, or you have a show idea for us, please leave us a voice message at 503-770-0263. 503-770-0263.